You guys, today on the podcast, we have an amazing woman, mother, fitness model, and triathlete, Angie Green-Fletcher. We're talking about working out. We're talking about social media. Speaking of social media, can everyone please get on iTunes and leave a comment? It's like our equivalent of a tip jar. Tell us how much you love us. <laughs> we appreciate it. Listen up. It's a great episode. Let's go. Ah! Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm so good. How are you? This is Ellie Noss and Bianca Kylik with Atomic Moms. Um, I feel kind of ridiculous because everyone's been making fun of me walking around with this gallon of alkaline water. It looks like you're a bodybuilder. Which I am not. But I have to say – I'm glad you clarified <laughs> that for our listeners. <laughs> Just in case anyone was curious. I'm not. I have to say that drinking water out of a gallon receptacle, mm -hmm. uh, it makes you very aware of how much you're drinking, which, you know, I always find that like halfway through the day, I'm like, how much water did I drink today? And then, um, yes, listen, yesterday I started having heart palpitations. Why? So, well, because the jug was so heavy that you're <laughs> looking around. <laughs> you are really losing it. This is good. Um, um, no, I've, I've been doing – I've been going to see a new, a new acupuncturist who's been helping me try to get off my Synthroid and have natural thyroid support. And part of that was that uh, not for everybody, but for me, alkaline water seems to be a good yeah. thing. And alkaline that. water for me is not a good thing, he said. Yeah. So everybody out so there. So here's how it works. I go see a doctor – that I love or a guru or a somebody or other mm -hmm. and then all my friends go after. Mm -hmm. And so Ellie is now seeing our, our famous Dr. Kim. And what's really ridiculous, but our listeners would probably understand that everything that's good for Bianca is bad for me and everything <laughs> that's good for me is bad for Bianca, which proves our yin-yang theory. Yeah, it's true. It's good. What's We're going on with you? Out. Well, last week's episode was about spring cleaning. Yeah. And I took it to heart and I unloaded like seven bags of crap. You sent me a picture. It was ridiculous. We have to put these up on Facebook, by the way. Yes, we, we do. will. We will have by so the point. So it is officially life-changing. It is life-changing. And my husband got really excited about it. He did it too because he started seeing all the bags going to the trunk of the car and he got super psyched. And then he's like, well, this is us like making room for baby, right? And I was like, no, but sure, <laughs> if that motivates you. We even moved the, around the bed to, so we could have more wit light. This is life-changing. Can I tell you what it's changed for me, which is the biggest thing because the one area of my life in which I have the worst problem, which is shopping, what it's changed for me now is when I go to the store, I'm like, okay, first of all, I don't want to go through that again of removing clothes that have still price tags on them. And so that made me feel really like guilty when I was mm -hmm. throwing out stuff that actually had price tags on it. And now I can see what's in my closet because there's only like 10 things. And I don't want to add things that aren't going to be flexible with other stuff. Yeah. And it's so such a time saver too. Because yes. you just – you know what you have and you know where yes. it is. So that really helps. Also, so the book that we were talking about last week, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. I mean now it's everywhere. My friend just sent a link to me about the book with Martha Stewart's living or whatever. So it's it's everywhere. In that book, they say cut the tags off stuff because once you – take possession of it and you get rid of the tags, you're more likely to use it. Oh. It's when you hold on to it and it still has the tags on it, it doesn't feel like it's I yours. I clearly do not remember that part of the book. Yeah. 
or well, you, you you might be a little bit of a skimmer. I am a skimmer. <laughs> Um, but that reminds me of our guest today because she could probably give us a lesson or two about purging. Uh, she wait, that's – wait. Okay. We're not yeah. – we are no, we are not editing that because that was the most brilliant, insane, horrible thing ever. But, but Jen – Jen Roban Whoa. was talking in the podcast so last about week, purging. So let people yes. know. Okay. So last week – Jen, sweet so Jen, good. who was our guest, who's a professional organizer, she used the word purge like 17 times. I know. And it got stuck in my brain. Yeah. And it got stuck in Bianca's brain because today, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Fitness and health with yeah. a former model. Yes. So, Bianca, <laughs> what did you just get into? <laughs> well, no. Let me let me explain. So, So our guest is – this Angie guy. Green Fletcher, who is a friend of mine, but also she is a fitness model. She is a mom. She is a triathlete. And she's an incredible person to follow on Instagram um, because she's so inspiring. And one of her posts, getting to where the purging fell in, was about getting rid of all of her belongings, like 95% of her belongings, which was very inspiring to me. And this started the whole yes. ball rolling of Jen coming in and doing my house. And so – so Angie's post got you motivated yes. to start clearing out with our last week's guest, Jen. Yes, yes. I love it. Yeah. I purged a lot of my workout clothes <laughs> this past week because they were so ratty. I mentioned on the podcast that I was going to go home and do it, and I did it, and it was great because I got to tell you, every time I would pull out something, I'd be like, even if it was Lululemon or something that I sh felt like I should keep because it was expensive or nice, yeah, like it was always going to be my last pick, and so it just would never get chosen. So it felt so good to give that away. Well, not only that, the whole idea of like your workout because I called Jen actually when I was cleaning out the closet and I said, "What about workout clothes?" Because the idea that that Marie Kondo says in her book is that every item in your house should bring you joy. So. When I was going through my clothes, I'm like, but what about like workout clothes? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. whose workout clothes bring them joy? And Jen said, but they should. And I was like, that kind of like this game changer for me because when I then selected a few items that I really did feel good in, I was like, okay, I'm going to the gym. I'm putting this stuff on. Like I feel good. About, you know, it's like I was grabbing ratty old tank tops that made me feel like crap anyway. So it's like I was already going in a bad mind frame when I was going to the gym. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's like when you look at everything that way, it's a game changer. I love it. Yeah. By the way, yeah. after our Palm Springs getaway, which was such a fun episode, I think, our little <laughs> spring break <laughs> episode, uh, Mom's, Mom's, Mom's Gone, Gone Wild, if yes. you want to look it up. Two days later, I got an audition where I had to be in a bikini. And then oh. I got the call back because I had my – Birthday Bianca base, base. tan. <laughs> so I was working that whole weekend. We you did the were. podcast and I got my tan. So we I got the call back. I didn't get the job and I don't know who fucking got the job, but well, it's okay. You know, it's it's a process. It's also it's a numbers a game. It's a numbers game. But you know what? My number should be coming up about now. <laughs> it still hasn't. It's fine. Let's get Angie on the show. Let's do it. We're back. We're 
back with a really special guest, and I am uh, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this young lady talk about her deal in life, in love, in workouts. Mm-hmm. It's my friend Angie Green Fletcher. Welcome to Hi. the Atomic Mom Show. Hi. Um, Hi, thank you for having Hi. me. Thank you. I'm so glad we got you in. We we I tried know. to do Angie a, a little while ago, and it didn't work out for some reason. You were in New York. I was in New York. Yeah, you couldn't do me. I was in New York. Yeah. But here you are, and and it's great to have you here. An- Angie has an 11 and a half year old boy, Oliver, ah! and just recently got married. I know for the second time. The second time. Yeah. And so Angie and I have mutual friends, um, which is how we initially met. But I feel like, as is the case with people these days, I really got to know Angie through Instagram. <laughs> And she has a such an amazing, inspiring Instagram account for all you mamas out there. It's still Angie Green, yeah. which is my first married name. Um, and only because I haven't known how to switch. Like, I don't – I've been switch everywhere on Facebook and I can't switch the actual name. Right. handle on Instagram. Really? Yeah. I th- yeah. I've, we'll you know figure what? it out. Listen, my sister changes hers weekly, so I'll find out for you. <laughs> Okay, so right now it is Angie Green, and I think that's just, I don't know, it's like my, that's how my SAG name is still Angie Green, because if I switched that up, yeah, I kind of, I have that's a, like a my million known... questions for you. Uh-oh. Because you say SAG, and the, I, like, I have a million questions, so. Okay, okay, go. Fire. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah. You are a model. I am. You are a model. Right? I am and was, yeah, that's that was my... Are you First doing fashion model? Job. You started with fashion modeling? Yeah. I left the house when I was 18, on my 18th birthday, and flew over to Germany. And it was <laughs> from then on. <laughs> that's that's what I've been doing mainly. And when did you start doing fitness modeling? Um, well, I think it went hand in hand. Uh, no, actually. I started off doing a lot of fashion, a lot of catalog, a lot of um, – a lot of European German stuff and probably more fashion when I moved to New York. I got married at 19 and moved to New York. And she, as she makes a face. As I cringe because <laughs> I don't recommend it to anyone. Don't get married but it's 19. your story. Yeah. You know. Yes. That was Mr. Green. Yes. Okay. That was Mr. Green that I got married to um, and had my lovely baby boy in mm. New York. And then – so how old were you when you became a mother? I was 23, 24, because okay. he's 11 and a half now, which makes me 36 and a half. <laughs> were you nervous as a model to become pregnant? Did you Were you afraid it was going to take you out of the game? No, not at all, because I was – modeling was never my end-all, be-all. Being a mom was I, – I grew up with kids. I grew up in the church. I grew up babysitting, nannying being in the nursery, like in the choir, that was my life. Modeling was a full side job, like little adventure trip, but I always knew I wanted four kids. I was going to be married. I was going to be a missionary. Like that was my, that was my existence and my goal and my passion. So being a model was just like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to get pregnant. And I actually made more money being a pregnant model than I did in the first half of my career. (laughs) They pay pregnant models a lot of money and you literally I'm work. Get pregnant. Yeah, you work half the time. Like I did this job in Philadelphia back in the day, where I made a, the highest day rate I've ever made in all of my modeling. I did one shot in the morning, and then they were like, "Okay, so we're gonna rest, do like a two and a half hour lunch. Just put your feet up." 
meanwhile, I was like three and a half months pregnant and they put a fake belly on top of my yeah. belly. And then we did one shot in the afternoon and then I took the train back home to New York and was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I think this is I think this is why a lot of women uh miss being pregnant because everybody treats you I know. so well when you are pregnant. You get the, you know, mm-hmm. white cl- white kid gloves treatment. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you work out while you were pregnant? I did. You know, I didn't work out a lot even before I was modeling. Like I I was never on any basketball teams, volleyball teams. I was never that kind of an athlete in high school. Um and I went to Bible college. I never went to any other college. So we weren't working out there. <laughs> um, and I really started working out when I when I started modeling, but nothing like I do now. I mean, I would go for a run and I had no idea what being fit or healthy was. Uh, I didn't eat as much as I should. And I did way more cardio than is ever necessary for any human being to do. And so I did work out during my pregnancy. I I was 10 days overdue, and I remember walking Central Park on August 1st in, like, the crazy heat of summer mm-hmm. and being crazy miserable, and then I had him on August 3rd. So. And, and you had a home birth? Is that right? I did, essentially. I mean, you could call it a home birth. He was in a birthing center in New York because I wasn't okay. allowed to have him in my apartment. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that part of the contract? <laughs> No cats no, I, and no birthing babies. I know. Well, no, my I forget even it was so long ago. I forget why, but my midwife said we're not going to do it in your apartment. I don't know. Maybe it's because we were on the 37th floor and just emergency-wise, like, you know, if the elevator broke, oh, I'd be like, point. you know, walking down 37 flights of oh stairs. So right. I had him in the St. Luke's Roosevelt Birthing Center. And it was amazing. I I feel like a few weeks before I was going to give birth, I would have moved into a hotel. Like the idea of even (laughs) doing 34 flights after your water breaks. No, I know. Well, because I labored at home. I labored at home for like the first 12 hours. And then as soon as I was in like, you know, incredible amounts of pain, I drove over the 59th Street Bridge (laughs) into Manhattan and went into St. Luke's Roosevelt and then labored there for another 10 hours. Was your birth – did your mom um, do home births? She did, yeah. And that is that why you – Totally. Did, yeah. 100%. She had all four of us at home and, you know, has videos of it all. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all I grew up knowing was home births and how magical they are. And, you know, it was never an issue. It was never – I never had a negative thought about, you know, freaking out about home birth. Like it was just always the most normal thing to me. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We, um, we talk a lot on this podcast, the whole, the whole purpose we reiterate quite often, um, our listeners know, but the whole purpose of this podcast is, was to do something where there was no judgment, Mm -hmm. how anybody chooses to parent, to be a mama, to bring a child into the world. And, you know, Ellie and I both had natural births. But in this podcast, we are very clear when we talk about uh, any birth that it's important for a woman to do it just the way that she wants to. And that being said, obviously, a birth happens the way that a birth happens. You you could oh, choose yeah. to have a home birth and you're going to be at the hospital. You could you know yeah. have a, a hospital birth and you had your kid in the car on the way. Um, There's no holier than thou better way. Yeah. Absolutely. I've I've now I was one of the first one out of all my friends that had a baby 
And ever since then, almost all of my friends have had babies and every single situation is different. I was at my sister's home birth, her first home birth, and she is a nurse and had the same experience as me growing up. But halfway through, she, during one of her contractions, there was mech in the contraction or in the fluid or whatever, and they raced her to the hospital and she had a perfect, you know, beautiful baby girl in the hospital. Her second one, then again, she tried at home. She had him in the water at home. And my other sister tried for a home birth as well after 72 hours of labor. Whoa. And after three epidurals, so they she wasn't progressing at home and, you know, ra- rushed her to the hospital. She had three epidurals that didn't take. So she <laughs> felt all the pain all through the three epidurals that didn't take. And then still wasn't progressing. They suctioned three times. Baby wasn't coming out. So at the end of all that, she had a C-section. Wow. It, he was an 11-pound, I think 11, one, 11 <laughs> He wasn't coming out no. at all. But, yeah, you can plan for these amazing things, these amazing home births, and then baby needs to come out how baby needs to yeah. come out, well, and that's no, it. No. Like It's such an epic – I remember saying to somebody before I was due – that I felt like I was like an astronaut going to space where it's like no one can prepare you <laughs> for what it's going to be like. No. Um, and and so much of the stress is like leading up to, uh, you know, trying to imagine. I remember I had a neighbor who walked by and uh, I met my neighbor because she, she said, um, oh, what, what hospital are you um, going to give birth at? And I said, oh, I'm doing it at home. And she goes, me too. So we started talking about that and she goes, oh, my God, it's, <laughs> the, it's the worst pain you've ever had in your life. <laughs> and I was like – I tried to I tried to like dive into what her motivation was in telling me that I was like either she, it's she's trying to psych me out which is what I told myself of course like right, it's right. not that bad she wanted to be she, the home birth on the block fuck <laughs> 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 your hospital now um, and it was it was one of oh yeah not one of it was the most painful experience that okay. I've and ever been through and it's different for everyone and yeah. pregnant women who are listening right now you who knows like it we forget very quickly how painful it is well, I remember saying it was very painful but honestly I can't remember and that's probably why I'll get pregnant again and here's yeah here's here's what I say about it I say it is the most painful experience for some people most people I've talked to. Yeah. Um, Other some, than the women who have an orgasmic An birth. orgasmic I know, birth. The orgasm. I mean, that really yeah. gets me down. I kept thinking with the pushing, I'd it get the orgasm. Incredible. I've mentioned this. I'm still waiting for that orgasm. I I literally was (laughs) like pushing and pushing for 45 minutes. And I'm like, where is my orgasm? Where is my orgasm? And it was nothing like the videos. I'm really mad about the orgasm. Yeah, I can tell. You can try it on your next one. Yes. I mean, at least I did the – you know, you pull out the vibrator to help birth along, right? So at least I got the I hadn't heard about that until you mentioned that. Oh, so good. Um, (laughs) And it's like the last time you're going to orgasm for like six weeks at least. Yeah, so yes, every yes. mom out there, get the vibrator out when you start going into labor because it helps labor progress. Well, and what I was going to say is that <laughs> it may be painful, but it's also so doable. Like I remember thinking afterwards like, wow, that hurt way more than I expected, but I could do it. In in every moment I was like, I can do this. I can – because as nature provides this kind of – safe place for you to give birth, it's allowed us all to have peaks and valleys. So you have a contraction and then it ebbs and flows and you get a break. And I remember saying to my doula in the birth, I was like, when I was at a point where contraction had just gone by Mm -hmm. and and I was like, oh my God, 
I want to be here forever. This is euphoric. And that was like when I was not having a contraction was the best I've ever yeah, felt in my life. Yeah, oh, my God. Too, yeah. Not me. <laughs> really? No, I would have the waves and then I'd feel like a normal person, which I didn't expect. No one had told me that between the contractions you feel normal. Yeah. Like, or I felt – well, you guys felt euphoric. Fuck you. But I felt no, like a normal person. Yeah. And then – I could feel the wave was coming. It's like you, there's like this no, like no, cloud no, no, no. that's like it starts getting dark and you're like, oh, God, the, <laughs> the wave's going to pummel me. Pummel me. It's going to pummel me. <laughs> you know what's the craziest thing for me that I will never, ever forget? Um, my midwife, as I was going through it, because you're overcome with pain. Like I was shaking uncontrollably, right? Like mm. you're just in this crazy place. And I kept on saying – I wasn't a very loud, screamer, angry birther, yeah. but I definitely was more of like a, a crier and I kept on saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I couldn't look at my husband because it was almost like he, he didn't have the strength in his eyes enough. So I looked at my midwife and I looked at my mom, knowing my mom had gone through it, mm-hmm. and my midwife. And the one thing she kept on saying, nothing else other than, you're doing it. You're doing it. This must be doula school because my doula did the same thing. There was yeah. one contraction that hit that was so big it took me to my knees. And yeah. I looked at her and I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. And she was like, you are doing it. You're and doing so, it and your body's yeah. doing it. Yeah. And honestly, the thing that I love about going through pain because you're like, oh, for those moms out there, really, it's not, maybe not that bad. <laughs> and it's true. It's it's obviously extremely different for everyone. For me, the reason why I love pain is because it it's always a foundational pillar for me next time when I go through something. It's like, oh, I've already done that though. Yeah. So I can totally do this. So for me, giving birth, like honestly, when I raced Escape from Alcatraz and when I jumped in that water and was thinking of the sharks and thinking of the craziness of what I'm doing, I thought of giving birth. And I was like, you know what? I've given birth with no drugs. And that was the most insane pain I've ever felt. And I totally got through it. And while my baby was on my chest, still with covered in everything, I looked at my, at my, at my husband and said, let's do this again. Because yeah. instantly I forgot. And so when I was doing Escape from Alcatraz, I was like, no, you know what? I've done that and I'm good and I'm strong. And like if I hadn't have done that, something else would have come along that you go through that brings you to a certain type of depth that you're like, no, I've done that. I can now do this. They're just strength builders and I love that. Yeah. When I had this uh, tumor surgery that I've mentioned in the past and like I had to relearn how to walk and it was like a four-month process and it was like a really – grueling two surgeries back to back that were super unexpected and unbelievably painful. And my husband was giving me shots in the stomach every day. It was, it sucked so hard. And because of that and crying and physical therapy and just the sheer, like the pain of it that, yeah, the birth was like, oh, this is a positive too. Mm -hmm. This is not a massive bone dissolving tumor. This is good. This pain is good. And something like, good is going to come from it right away. And something great is coming from it. And, and to know so that experience before what you're saying was the foundation of like, oh, I've been there and I can grow from it. Mm-hmm. And now this is the next level. Mm-hmm. Also for me, I think something that it taught me was, you know, when we get into situations that are really difficult or whether it be emotionally or physically, um, you know, 
during the birth, I found that the times that I tensed up and went high with my like, Ooh, mm-hmm. like it was hurting, um, th- that was when it hurt more. Mm-hmm. And when I would try to breathe down into it and sit in it was the time that it hurt less. And it taught mm-hmm. me so much about in life when we go through situations that make us feel that way, when you try and brace against anything, when you resist what's happening, because life happens and it's going to happen and it's going to happen the way mm-hmm. that it, you know, that it's, it's meant to happen. And when we fight that, we, I went to a meditation retreat one time and um, I remember this teacher talked about, and it was such a beautiful visual for me of being in the flow of the river. And that if you can imagine laying back with arms spread open and just go with the flow of the water as opposed to trying to grab onto sticks or rocks or things that could hold you because then you just – you're held in place and you're beaten down. Yep. But when you go with what it is – and I remember trying to visualize that during my labor of like just being there in it. I kept thinking about like surfing and the idea of this huge wave coming over me and that – if you try and fight the wave, you're just going to get the shit kicked out of you yeah. and you're going to get pummeled. But if you can just sort of float in it and let it take, you know, take that breath and just like tumble with it, yeah, that you'll get out to the other side. You know what I think the hardest thing about that visual is, is you're so vulnerable when you're open armed, you know, floating down that river, you're so vulnerable because you're, you're open. And all we try and do when we're going through a hard time is protect ourselves from something else. Right. So you're like closed in and being able to be open and be vulnerable is so hard, but it's so rewarding because that's when you can actually let go. This is something that we've talked a lot about with this podcast, because it's when you're sharing stories about yourself or you go to places where you are speaking your truth about things, it's it's hard because normally the people that you're talking to are your friends or your family or people that are in your close inner circle. And this is like you're just kind of projecting it out. Mm-hmm. Ellie and I both had a couple moments where afterwards we're like, oh, my God. Did I say too much? I mean, it's, it's – Yeah, we forget that there's like 2,000, 3,000 people listening that we don't know. And, and put it, that in a room and you're like, I know. Oh, And forever. And that, that Sabrina Magnolia will find these tapes someday. <laughs> listen. Which is also really cool, I think. Yeah. Because I mean, people ask that too. Like, yeah. oh, what about your children? What are they thinking? Da, da, da. I'm like, well, it's kind and, you know, I'm – if anything ever happens to me, at least she'll have this record of yeah. but, of what yeah, I went through as beautiful. a mother. But also I think that, um, you know, there is – there's something to be said about a new kind of generation of people who are opening up about their stories. And I think oh, that yeah. when we tell – when we speak our truth and when we tell things like they are for us, first of all, you connect – with people, because I feel like if everyone was just honest about what they were going through, we would all be there for each other. We would all get it. We would Especially all. Especially as women. Ugh. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, what? You feel insecure too? Really? Oh my God. That I feel so insecure. And instantly walls are like brought down yes. and connection is built and there's yes. power in that. Let's talk. I'd love to talk about that a little bit with you. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to come in here because with your Instagram account and with what you do for a living, you know, you're someone we had a we had an actress, um, Teresa Palmer on, and we had a discussion about um, you know, that Marianne Williamson quote about uh, people's greatest fear isn't the isn't the um what I'm is it? it God, I know. Blanking out today. Mama brain in full effect. <laughs> Basically, your greatest fear is not that you're inadequate, yes. but that you're Thank you. Look at yeah. it. Yes. And I always thought it was Nelson Mandela that said that, but then I was wrong. 
Well, Mary, <laughs> it originally from is, uh, she's she's run with it. Yeah. <laughs> <It's in the> <laughs> <book>. <laughs> but I I see sometimes on your deepest on your account, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's our <laughs> deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, that we are that we are powerful, powerful beyond, beyond, beyond measure. measure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you know, I've, I've noticed sometimes on your account because Angie posts these gorgeous, I mean, your body is incredible and you've worked really hard to have this body, but you also have such a healthy attitude about your being, about who you are as a person, about your physical appearance. I mean, and, and I think that what I love so much about you is you're putting it out there for people to see in a way to inspire, it inspires me every time I see one of your posts. And yet there are those people that come on that comment in your comment section sometimes and are like, well, I don't understand what that has to do with the quote that you just put, or I don't understand, you know, and, and people, Ellie and I talk about this. There, there are people that are uncomfortable with, they call it boasting. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we could just get to a place where we celebrated the things that our people should be proud of. Mm -hmm. What has that experience been like for you? And can you just talk about your intention with? Yeah, um, totally. It's been, you know, like you were saying before, where we live in this completely new era, this new generation of wearing our hearts on our sleeve, where it was only a few short years ago <laughs> where women didn't talk about sex. They didn't talk about anything. Like nobody talked about anything even with my mom's generation, you know, it's that close and for all of time. So for us to now be wearing our hearts on our sleeve and like you said, to be wearing them for everyone to see and it being forever on the internet, it's very, very, very hard to find a balance of being true to yourself, having an influence and knowing what that is. Like I had probably about three years ago now, I had a full social anxiety breakdown, social media breakdown, where I stopped going on Facebook because I would find myself, all I was doing is comparing myself. I wasn't strong enough in who I was uh, to just be like, oh, screw everyone else. This is what I'm doing on a Saturday. I would wake up on a Saturday and look at Facebook, look through the newsfeed. And because I followed a lot of triathletes or a lot of athletes, I would see that they'd already woken up at 4 a.m., done a five-hour swim, a two-hour bike ride, and now they're having a little brunch before they go out for their run. And I yeah. – The competitive nature was, of being an athlete oh, yeah. on top of social media. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. And I, I, I wasn't okay. Like I just – I'm not that competitive type of a person. Um I'm more competitive, I think, with myself than with others. And so I would lie there in bed, feel like a complete failure and cry and like not do anything about it. Where, <clears throat> So I had that little bit of a breakdown and then I found Instagram. I was like, oh, so I don't have to go through everyone else's feed. <laughs> can just and I can just kind of have away. a platform, yeah, for myself. Chelsea Handler had a great quote about that. She's like, and I don't know that I'll find the exact quote, but it was basically like I put up the photo of me throwing up and then I move on. Like yeah. I don't like I just post and go. Yeah. It's hard when you do when you do something like I'm doing where I'm trying to be motivational and trying to be inspirational. And like you said, oh, there's tons of comments of of people that you have to weed through and look through and be like, you know, kind of think about where they're coming from. But I learned probably <laughs> Probably when I went through that whole letting go, I'm going to call it instead of purging, letting go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the process in my life. And it was 
you know, I'll be honest, it was a forced process. It was a financial process for me. It wasn't a, oh, I woke up one day, the birds were chirping, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to give away all my possessions. No, it was a very dire, destitute place in my this life. This is when you were giving up your belongings Yeah, we were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah, this, okay. is, this is just a few years ago where I couldn't pay my rent and where I had to move out of my apartment and move into a storage unit, and I couldn't afford that storage unit. So I let go of 95% of my stuff because I couldn't afford a storage unit. Oh my God. So there's the honesty yes. for that one for all of you people. For the giving away. <laughs> yeah. And then did but you... it, was, it was the most freeing thing that I've ever done because in, in letting go of a lot of that stuff, or like you said, you have 10 things in, in your closet, I do as well. And it's so freeing because it allows you time to do other important things rather than spend time on picking out your outfit. Because yeah. you're like, oh, guess what? It actually doesn't even matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter That's why what I'm wearing. That's why I used to love to go up to um, Seattle and visit my family. Because in Seattle, like, everyone wears the same clothes Yeah, every day. I mean, it's basically, you know, like your boots and your Patagonia jacket. I would go up there and I had a closet, you know, in my mom's house. And it had, like, a couple pairs of jeans and uh, two flannels. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I those got, flannels were loved flannels. They were, they were probably thin and cozy. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and I would, I wouldn't pack a bag. And I, I, that was so awesome when I would jump on the plane and go up there and know that like, I didn't have to worry about yeah. matching things so or packing. Nice. And yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, that brings me back to my point of social media and finding the balance of it where I'll never be able to please everybody. Yeah. You know, like you said, there's, Everyone has their own experience. And for me, it's extremely sad. Like it, it takes a lot of the anxiety away to know that I can just be me. I'm always going to strive to be a better version of me, but it takes the nervousness away when you know that like you have a purpose of being here. I have a voice. I have a story. I have things that I've been through that might help someone else go through something. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I have like in being me, I am a fitness model. I'm a model. I'm I'm not someone who sits behind a desk, which is a whole like they have their whole Instagram. That is fine. But for me, I've spent way too many years apologizing for that fact because I didn't want anyone else to feel bad about themselves. But it doesn't help any it doesn't help me being me if I just post pictures of me in a hoodie you know, sitting on the couch and completely covering myself up. But I do always get the backlash of me posting myself, a picture of myself in a bikini. But that's my work. That's, right. that's what I do. And it's not to gather followers, but it's to say, this is, this is my body now. I used to be a skinny, frail model, but now I'm an athlete. And like, these are the comparisons in my body. And that's Right. Well, that's and me, that's my voice. And I think too, it's like what you said earlier about you can't please everybody. And it's more, I always say like Ellie and I, you know, we'll hear back from listeners um, where someone says like, wow, this really made me feel like I wasn't alone, mm -hmm. you know, or this was life changing for me to hear this. And I'm like, if we just have one of those comments or two of those comments, then it's worth Mm -hmm. any bit of oversharing that we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like the same But is we always get the brunt of it, the ones who put themselves out there. <laughs> I know. I yes. know. And, it's, and it's true hard. that the, the, the negative things always, you know, sting more than the, the, 
the positive ones oh, yeah. are our salve, but the, the negative ones still sting. But yeah. But, but it's still worth it. Right. It is still worth it. And I'll and I'll just share like from my childhood, you know, I um I was a dancer and um I danced semi professionally for this company um just outside of Seattle and I did the nutcracker every year. And I would dream about playing the lead role of Clara, which in some in some productions is called Marie, but for us it was Clara. And I, I mean, I would for the year leading up to when my age group was the one that would be selected mm-hmm. from to to play Clara, I dreamed about getting this role, mm-hmm. and I got it. And I, I mean, I remember I was probably ten, eleven years old. I remember seeing the list on the hallway wall oh, totally. and the elation of, oh my god, I got it! Like I've dreamed about this, and I got it. Mm-hmm. And then there was the fallout, and. I missed a little bit of school because I was, you know, in this production and we did um, day performances. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, kids at school thought that I was too cool and, oh, she's the lead. And, you know, as a kid, I was. I was boisterous about Mm -hmm. the fact that I had gotten this this role. Um, And I remember my – my mom called it my Clara complex, um, (laughs) which which was funny but also hurt because – here it was this thing that I had pined for and then mm. I got it and then it created such like these animosities and and um, negative comments mm. and experiences for mm. me. And what's happened now is I found that for the first part of my career in Hollywood, I apologized for myself. Oh, yeah. And – I would always feel like I don't want to. I don't want to step on anyone's toes, mm-hmm. and I don't want anyone to think I'm a diva. Mm-hmm. Crazy? No, God I mean, forbid. Hello. The Palm Springs uh, episode we did. I put up one selfie, and Bianca had to listen to me for 30 minutes. Be like, do I put this up? I don't know. I feel really weird about putting up this picture of my face because it, there was also I wasn't making a kooky face. I was just like smiling, and it felt very personal and intimate to be like, oh, this is just a pretty picture that's not forced. Yeah. That's like – and that felt intimate to be like – Yeah. Because it wasn't like, oh, I'm making a wacky face or mm-hmm. – But you're like, oh. But it's, it's – I mean, I, I think for me and especially now having a daughter, um, I I just don't want her to ever apologize for herself. So, yeah, I and, totally agree. And to feel like she shouldn't boldly – display and proclaim to the world how fantastic she is because I think she's that fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I understand that sometimes there's people who have egos and maybe are are divas and are shitheads. (laughs) That happens. But we've gotten to a place now where I think people are shying away from being the best that they can be because they're worried of the people that are going to post on their on their right. timeline or they're worried about someone's going to think that I think that I'm great. Who the fuck cares? No, that's that's really hard for women to find the balance of that. And again, with social media where, like you said, it, it's so much easier to post like a quirky picture of yourself mm-hmm. and like, you know, you don't have to be apologetic for that. But as soon as you post a pretty picture of yourself, instantly we feel vain. Right. Instantly we feel like, oh, what am I trying to get validation, you know, for my And there's my always prettiness? that feeling of like, oh, well – if you own what, you know, that you're an attractive person or something, oh, well, then everything's been handed to her. Or there's oh, something, there's like this, that's been... it's like you have to share all the neuroses behind something or the hard work because otherwise it's just been handed to you. Mm-hmm. And like the, the fear of that. And mm-hmm. it's, I want, I totally feel you, Bianca, about wanting Sabrina not to apologize for who she is. And, 
And it's also our responsibility as on the other side to weed out the people in your feed that make you feel like shit. If you're looking at other competitors, like if you're in that and you feel like crap looking at their 5 a.m. photos of their morning jog, then we need to take them off. Or like if I have – because it's we're – we're all saying that we need to be able to own what we're doing, but it still triggers us sometimes, right? Like I look at some other people's Instagram and I get really pissed off about it, okay? Like I'll own that. Be like, yeah, they can, they can do that and I support that and we're basically like – is it grandstanding about it? Being like, yeah, own it. Grandstanding. But then I'll see this, that one person's Instagram and I'll be like really annoyed. So I should just take them off the feed. It's totally a part of the cleansing too. I do that I do that weekly, monthly. I unfollow people because if it doesn't make you happy and if it doesn't make you a better person, if it triggers something inside of you because you're human and you're not a robot mm-hmm. and you have these insecurities, then just take them off for a minute and like keep on doing what you're doing. But I think that if you surround yourself with key people – because I know, like I have a best friend that if I post something and if there's anything kind of off about it, I will literally get a text and be like, so babe, I love you so much. But I think like I'll, I'm accountable to those two or three or handful of people that yeah. know me. And that what's an love example me. of what she would say? Like how does she say it? Um, well, she would just be like, do you think that's – like what are you trying to say with that? Or Because yes. my husband will do that like 100%. He'll be so honest with me and be like, you know, I just don't think that's necessary. I think that, you know, there's maybe a different way of, of showing that. Mm-hmm. Or remember – because, I mean, your kids are young, right? Both you guys. Yeah. Kids are, so my son is on Instagram. And <laughs> That's right. And not only is he on Instagram, his guy friends. His, oh, my His God. friends oh, yeah. are on Instagram. So for me – there's a huge balance of being like, okay, I'm going to post this, but <gasps> like my my son's friends are going to see this. So there's oh, yeah. there's constantly a little voice, a check being like, okay, you know, make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. And But then I have those handful of people who will be very gut honest with me and I'll listen to those people and filter out the rest that have their own issues and don't even know me, you know? Right. Right. And and likewise, it's like if people don't like something that you post that aren't your group of wise friends, then those people should follow someone else. I mean, if that's exactly. if that's something that, you know, offends them or makes them feel uncomfortable um, in the same way that, that we'll unfollow people that make us feel that way. Um, it's such an – isn't it so interesting? It's just this whole new world, right? Because, I mean, I, none of us had that growing up. Yeah. We didn't have – that I mean, I I just am terrified about what school and life will be like for our girls. How do you deal with it with Ollie? I know it's different with boys, but like as far as the social media is concerned, is he is he pretty active on it, or is it kind of a one? He's, I mean, he's definitely a boy. But what's interesting, or we were just laughing about this the other day because it was just spring break. And I, you know, my son's an only child right now, and so we were just thinking, oh. On, on Monday or Tuesday morning, he went back to school and he came upstairs at 5.50 in the morning because he had set his own alarm and it was 5.50 and I was like, what? Like he's an hour before school, so excited to get to school. And I remember that feeling of being excited. But for me, it was an excitement of like, oh, what did everyone else do over spring oh, yeah. break? Like it was this big, long break. And Oliver literally is on Instagram and he knows exactly oh. what everyone did. 
Like what they yep. had for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely Ugh. a whole different thing. You have to be active. I mean, I think it's less, you know, for a boy than for a girl. I would, in my experience right now, because he'll post pictures of him playing hockey or, <laughs> you know, doing different stuff where girls have mm-hmm. a lot kind of so do more you, to struggle with. But. Do you follow the people that he follows? I mean, are you that kind of a parent in that you No, I follow him, obviously. Do you, like, secretly look at the people who like his photos? I absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever find anything on their account where you're like, ooh, I should I, – ooh, that parent. I don't no, know. I think because he's still only 11. If he's, <laughs> yeah. if he's 13, 14, you yeah. know, or 13, it'll be a different thing. Right. Um, but then I hear horror stories from our mutual friend who you did a show with. That I'm like, we you won't mention any names, Oliver Hudson. To be kidding me. <laughs> He's like, well, you know, he is 11. I'm like, don't even tell me what you did at 11 wow. because I will disown you as a friend. Listen, the I best can't. revenge that ever happened to Oliver Hudson is that he had a daughter. Oh, yeah. And it's it. going to be sweet. 100%. <laughs> yes. Can we talk for a minute about your marriage now and about like yes. what the transition with having a stepdad at home. Yeah, that's oh great. yeah. That's huge. It's huge. Well, I love being married. I've always loved being married. Um, the second marriage, I feel like I got married as an adult. <laughs> like when he proposed to me, I literally, we were on the Ferris wheel at the Santa Monica pier Aww. and he proposed to me up there. It was so cute. Um, but I started crying because I was like, oh my goodness, I feel like a woman. Like I feel like my first marriage, I was this little girl whose mom told her what to wear, you know, walking down the aisle like I was playing dress up. And with this second marriage, I feel like I'm this woman who is a teammate who's coming in with her own voice and her own experiences. And it's it's awesome. It's been really, really great. It's been six months. <laughs> but we – I mean, I've known him for 20 years. I've known him before I got married to my first wow. husband. But the stepdad thing is very interesting. I mean, that's like a whole other show. That yeah. Especially with the son. Mm-hmm. The yeah. dynamic. The yeah. alpha males. Maybe if you guys would both come on. Yeah. That would be really interesting. Yeah. I bet people would love to hear that. It's um, just so huge because I, I think there's so many things you go through as a mom. And when you're married, you just automatically put these things on the dad, right? Or mm-hmm. on on your husband where you're like, you got to pull your weight in the parenting thing and blah, blah. And with a stepdad – I always think twice about like, well, but he's not the dad. So I've had he two stepdads. Like pull his weight. You have? I've had two stepdads. And yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, luckily, neither one of them, my mother was always the disciplinarian anyway, so we didn't have to even go there. Right, right. But that would be interesting. It's a, it's a different dynamic. And at 11, Very that's different. Yeah. So what grade is he in? He's going into seven. He's in sixth right now. He's in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, middle school is so. Difficult mm-hmm. anyway. So many changes. I mean, yeah. Hormonally. Luckily, and then to have luckily new- he loves my husband. Like I don't even exist right now, uh-huh. which I always say like I had the first 10 years of his life, like where his his world revolved around me. It was mm-hmm. mommy, mommy. So now, you know, now if there's a couple years where he's kind of in a daddy phase or like a man mm-hmm. phase, he'll come back around. Yes, he will. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about – first of all, when did you start doing triathlons? After I got divorced, I started doing tri because I was severely depressed. Yeah. I was a pack-a-day smoker and I started drinking at 11 a.m. And I couldn't afford therapy anymore, so I got on a bike. 
<laughs> Do we want to edit any of that out? No, <laughs> you have to keep it. That's exactly what everyone wants to hear. Yes. That yes. was my journey to triathlon. It was not a huge – well, it was huge for me. It literally – it probably saved my life because yeah. I was on a downward spiral of massive depression because my first marriage ended and it was – you know, when I didn't tell people, I didn't tell my family for a year that we were separated and living in separate places because even when I did tell my family, it was like telling them the moon didn't exist. Like that's, Is that because of the religion or – It was religion for sure. But we were also so – it seemed to everyone else that we were so good because we kind of were but in uh -huh. a very dysfunctional way. On the outside, we were good. But emotionally, like there was no depth. There was no connection. There was no chemistry. Uh -huh. But we always just kind of made it work. I feel like until that – Until it didn't work and yeah. then it didn't work. I feel like that that's more common than people think. I think people mm -hmm. have this idea that divorce is this huge explosion and it's some crazy thing happens and it all – but I think more time – more often than not, it's it's just a slow, a quiet eroding almost and then you just get to this place where you're like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. My now husband also did not tell his family for a year when, when they were really? separated. Yeah. And I was like – how? I mean, I with with my family, I was like, I can't even imagine how I would. I mean, did you? Were you basically living a double life? And how I was. Did your son I was. not tell. How old was well, he? My my son was only two and a half, okay. so he doesn't remember anything. But okay. for me, I mean, I didn't tell my family because my family's all in Canada. I'm Canadian, so it right. But so. when they would come down, I think they came down like two or three times to visit. I literally packed a backpack from my apartment at Park La Brea oh, so and went back to my house because <gasps> oh, I was God. the one that left. Yeah. So I packed a backpack, came back to the house. We put on a front for a weekend or however long they were there. So you and were raising your son ones. by yourself no, at Park La Brea or were you guys we, we were still co-parenting. Yeah. yeah. And He's then, a great dad. And then a you really would good co and pretend that you still live there. Yeah. That is so difficult. Yeah. I would be smoking a pack a day too. <laughs> and no, drinking. I, Did you, do you – For me, I was in such a fog. Like I, I didn't – I didn't really know who I was even when I got married because I was 19. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was a young 19. I wasn't like a sexually aware 16-year-old, you know, going mm -hmm. off to war. I was very much a very, very naive, very religious, I would say, 19-year-old virgin who got married and so when I got separated, it was another version of just this fog that I was in and with the social anxiety, like, because I had never, I remember going to a party with Aaron by myself for the first time. And I, I, for the first time realized I didn't have anyone's hand to hold on to because no. for so many years I'd walked mm -hmm. into a room with someone and I didn't know who I was. So you know, after this being beautiful like a mommy, gazelle, all of a sudden is single, and you've never been single uh, in your life in Los yeah, Angeles. It was, it was brutal. You, know, you needed a bodyguard. It's weird. Brutal. I remember my first moment walking into. I actually went to Whole Foods, and um, I walked in, and every there, I felt like everywhere I looked, it was people shopping together. And I, I've gone to Whole Foods by myself before. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. but it was the first time shopping just for me. And it was so oh, yeah. hard. I mean, I think I cried like halfway through the store. It was yeah. just like, this is so depressing. Um, so then you, so then you turned to triathlon, and how, how hard was that at first? <laughs> well, it was hard. Obviously, any change is hard, right? Yeah. But for me, it wasn't even me. I have to give all the credit to my friends. I had this one guy friend who. He would come around on the nights that I didn't have my son um, 
and he would come and take me for a night ride. And he, you know, there was definitely one turning point for me where I was in my house. I was so depressed um, because I was divorced. And it wasn't this sense of like, oh, there's a new beginning around the corner. Like, no, this was the end of my life. I didn't, I didn't want anybody else. Like I, I was a horribly depressed person, negative, negative person. And he came in, literally grabbed the cigarette out of my hand, put it in the ashtray, grabbed my hand and like threw me on the bike and was like, you can cry the entire bike ride, but you're going out. And like, it was that intervention of people in my life because I didn't have the strength to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. So I had him who kind of took me for bike rides, took me for night rides. And I used to bike a lot with my dad and my dad passed away when I was 11 so that was a connection for me, kind of a spiritual connection of being like, okay, this is healing because when I'm on my bike, I feel like I'm with my dad. Like it was yeah. that yeah. kind of a transformation for me. And then my other friend was a professional triathlete. So I literally got all of her hand-me-downs and was able to ride her bike. And, um, you know, a friend of mine taught me how to swim. I was terrified of water. Like everything about triathlon was an overcoming, <laughs> overcoming, overcoming. Uh, this reminds me of my husband's little sister, Natalie. When she was 24 years old, she was five months pregnant, I think five or six months pregnant, and her husband passed away in a skateboarding accident, just random. He was just playing with a friend, and he hit his head, and he died. And it was actually on Father's Day, and oh she God. was pregnant wow. with their first child. And so she had her son, and then for her grieving and recovery, she did a triathlon that first year. And that's how, like, she gave birth to her son, and then she's trained for this triathlon. She got her baby sister, Haley, who was on the swim team, to teach her how to swim. She got her older sister, Sarah, who's a professional triathlete, too, to help her. And she went to D.C., and she did a triathlon that first year. And she she talks about it. She's got a memoir about the experience called Signs of Life, and she the triathlon's like a great part of it. But what, and what's neat too, is her first husband, Josh, who passed away, he had biked across the country Mm. to raise money for charity. So like what, it's amazing Mm -hmm. that, and my father is a cyclist too, and has done it all over the world. And it's, it's such a powerful thing. Like if anyone's never, like anyone who has not gotten on a bike, mm-hmm. like yeah. just try it, even if it's just a class, because it is so therapeutic and it's such a great energy release. And what a what a beautiful instrument for healing. Mm-hmm. Well, it was therapy for me. Like I, I'm not joking when I say I couldn't afford therapy anymore. So when I got on my bike, what you deal with when you push yourself, and I was, you know, riding in the Mulholland and the canyons and a lot of stuff around so here. scary. Yeah, it was. Winding and road. <laughs> no, and there's hills and it's so hard. But the therapy that you can give yourself when you push and you don't have an option to give up because you don't have cell phone reception and there's no one to pick you up and you have another hour and a half or two hours to ride home, you find out what's inside and what you didn't know that was inside. And for me, the only reason why I quit smoking is because cycling was harder than quitting because <laughs> quitting smoking is hard as a mofo. I know. And I did it. Because <laughs> there's triggers, right? You yeah. literally, for me, I had to like get a new lease on a new car because the trigger for me to get into my car and drop my son off at school because of the depression and because of the, the habitual familiarity I instantly went to a cigarette Yeah. until I got a new car <laughs> to where I could be like, oh, okay, this is a new car. I, you know, I don't want to ruin that new car smell. 
But that faded after a month and I started smoking again. So it was the cycling that it was so hard and it like psychologically, emotionally, physically was so hard for me that it was harder than quitting smoking. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But and it's also a proactive thing versus just a don't do this. It's like a go do this. Oh yeah. Like, because you so because you instantly feel the negative results of smoking. So smoking, which fills up your lungs with tar and makes you, mm-hmm. you know, this very, very unhealthy person. When you're when you're doing something that's healthy and outdoors and you're feeling your blood pumping through your veins, I had a chronic cough for probably about six months to a year because of just getting rid of those that's toxins, tough. which I wouldn't have had if I just would have quit and then, right. you know, done something else. What has it been like for your relationship with your son, the the being a triathlete? I mean, you see – you post pictures as well of you guys training together mm-hmm. and um, – you know, I'm sure, especially to have a boy and to be such an active mom, um, you guys work out together. Yeah, it's fun. Actually, over spring break, too, I have a treadmill in my garage. And for him, he woke up and, you know, saw me working out. And so he, instead of playing Minecraft or, you know, doing something that you would do on spring break, just relaxing, he was like, hey, you know, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump on the treadmill and I'm going to do a mile a day you know, for spring break. And it was nothing that I said or that I asked him to do because I'm not that person. I'm not like, right. you should work out. I I don't care at all. I want him to see by example of, of me um, working out and me loving it because just like you were saying about giving birth and the pain of giving birth, but knowing it's a privilege, mm-hmm. for me, working out is a privilege. I feel the same way. Yeah, like and that's I'm, where I go every day. It's yeah, like my with my leg. Like twenty years ago, I, I would have it would have been an automatic amputation. So it's like Incredible. I get to do this. Yeah, and it and if you have that door. like grateful, thankful thought, that's what so many people on Instagram ask. Like, what motivates you? What motivates you? And I'm like, well, uh, my mom got diagnosed. You know, my dad died of cancer. My mom got diagnosed and just fought cancer, just overcame it a couple months ago. My stepmom, or not stepmom, my mother-in-law just got breast cancer. Like there's so much in life. There's so many toxins. There's so many things that like I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and break a leg or whatever. What motivates me is that I can. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm able to. And in most places outside of the United States of America, working out isn't a chore. It's People don't get to work out because what they do for a living is work. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like it is – it's such a privilege for us to actually go to a gym and take time out of our day where we get to work out. Like it's a joke. Well, and I think um, – you know, it's this – I love this – the idea that you just spoke about of of gratitude and I feel like that – can affect every walk of your life, every every part of Absolutely. life, um, if you can find a sense of gratitude. Um, and, you know, um, I actually – we never saw each other on Hawaii, but we were there. Uh, <gasps> That's we were, right. We were there at the same time. So connection. my brother is a, is a double amputee and he does Ironman in, in Kona and, yeah. um, and Angie was there, but we didn't end up crossing paths. Or maybe we were there at different times. I don't know. It's so beautiful because if you're at that finish line, so the race starts in the morning and between 10 uh, p.m. to midnight is when the last kind of stragglers. Midnight's um, the cutoff. It's you have the cutoff. Yeah. 18 hours. And yeah. you see 80-year-old men and women 
limping, taking themselves across the line. And what I'm so struck by, you know, in you telling your story and, and other people that I know that do triathlon, certainly my brother who was in this horrific accident, lost both his legs and now he does triathlon mm -hmm. and he's like a world champion. It's insane. Yeah. Um, is that it's the stories. It's this, that people feel that this push to, to not only prove something to themselves, but to feel alive. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that, sense in kind of all of what we're talking about today is to find that place where you're thankful and that you and that you have something to prove mm -hmm. that you that you want to give back for the idea of being alive mm -hmm. and I wish we had another hour to talk to you and I hope that you'll come back in and and talk to us about so many different things because I just I love your outlook on life and I I really hope that um, any of our listeners who um, are in, on Instagram will follow you because you inspire me every time I see a post of yours. I wish I had the stamina to do all the things that you do. Um, but sometimes it just gets me to the gym for the day, which is which is more than I can ask for. And no, so what's your website again? Is it, it's Angie? It's AngieGreen.com. But I'm I I was Angie just Daly. told. Yeah, I was just told that nobody can go on it anymore. So I need to change some stuff over so you can go on it. Well, but. Maybe in the next week yeah <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally because um, if you're not on instagram we still like everyone should see all this amazing stuff you've got yeah, yeah. well facebook well, like okay. every everything right. that i post from instagram goes right to twitter and facebook and do you have a, you have a particular facebook page do we just look up? yeah angie green angie green okay. yeah yeah and anything i mean i guess maybe a lasting a, a lasting comment on the the moms out there who just feel like they couldn't possibly have the time in the day to take care of themselves. And I know that's a big thing for you about just treating yourself and doing that. So maybe something to inspire them to say whatever. Well, look, like you said, you know, you, whatever I post motivates you to get to the gym or motivates you to go over. I, in my season of life right now, I have more time. My son is 11 years old. I don't have four kids, right. you know, and um, so I do have more time, but some days I only have 20 minutes and it's a matter of, of making that commitment to yourself of seeing it as a privilege and, and, but really making a commitment to yourself. Cause for me, I call it going to work. I have five other jobs that I do, but one of those jobs is making time to either go for a walk, to go for a swim, to do 10 pushups, like whatever it is, as long as you're doing something every day. Yeah. Whatever it is, sitting and meditating for 10 minutes and giving yourself, allowing yourself that space to be, to, you know, to be connected to yourself. It just, it helps. Every little thing helps. And yeah. everyone has their comparisons, right? I compare myself constantly to a professional triathlete, which is so unfair because I don't have eight hours in a day to train. Okay, guys. So everyone and, has their comparisons. Yeah, and when you go online and you see Angie and you hear her saying that she compares herself to other people, it's going to make you feel really good because she, she's a goddess. Yes! <laughs> so everybody, everybody's got their Everyone shit. has <laughs> their comparisons <laughs> up or down. That's what wow. I tell my son all the time. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys, okay, we're going to finish out with our mom bomb and mom session. 
Okay, my mom's session today is really important to me. My sister-in-law, Sarah Wilson, it is an amazing athlete and an amazing mom, and she has a company called Fashletics. She started as a jewelry designer, and she started making charms of kettlebells and inspiring quotes for athletes and CrossFitters, and now she's doing a maternity line of workout tanks. And so everybody, go on Fashletics.com and pick out a maternity shirt for someone you know. I think it'd be a great gift for a baby shower. No, I'm not getting paid for this, but I do hope my sister-in-law will love me even more for sharing. (laughs) She's got some cute ones. Paleo bun in the oven, due date training. That's the one I came up with. And uh, nine-month partner, WAD. WAD stands for workout of the day. So if you are into any sort of working out, get one. I want to get pregnant again just so I can wear one of these shirts. Do it. And she's going to give... Atomic Moms, a 15% discount. So if you go on there and you'd like to get one, put Atomic Moms in the little code and you'll get 15% off. Awesome. Look at us. (laughs) Um, Okay, my mom bomb in the spirit of celebrating our guest, Angie Green Fletcher. And in her story about coming from a really hard place and becoming a triathlete and overcoming um, some vices and depression, you know, and then you see her amazing photos and how, how inspirational she is. I just want to uh, – this quote is a little overused, but I love it. I think it's a good one. And it's, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Just remember that the next time that you feel judgment or, you know, you find yourself kind of being spiteful towards someone, it's like we're all in it, you guys. We're all doing the best we can. And we love you. And go on Twitter and Facebook and iTunes and subscribe. <laughs> And remember, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, and rock on, Atomic Moms. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicing I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.